When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This week on On The Mark with Mark Harriman, it's Andy Greer, longtime NBA assistant. Ethan Blumenthal here to give some Mother's Day love, hashtag we love you moms. And Michael Kopech from the Chicago White Sox coming back from Tommy John surgery. Please subscribe, please give a rating to On The Mark with Mark Harmon, which starts right now. Happy Mother's Day weekend from everybody at On The Mark. Ashley Young, you have a wonderful mother who supported you. Did you do anything special? She's over in New Jersey, so I didn't get to see her this weekend, but I sent her some stuff, took care of her. What did you send? Send her flowers. You sent flowers. I did, yeah. What a nice daughter. Thank you. I feel like flowers, some people write them off, but there's something people don't buy for themselves. So it's a nice thing to come home to. Flowers are beautiful. The mm-hmm. only thing I, you know, the thing with flowers is they're here and then they're gone. Aren't we all? But, we all die. Oh, well, so. there you go. Wow. Nice to dark turn. And I, I appreciate that. I'm keeping you in perspective. Well, hey, listen, we believe on On The Mark, yours truly especially, that the present is a present. It's a gift. So just like flowers, somehow let's enjoy every moment. Let's enjoy this podcast. Let's so enjoy you. corny. I love Happy Monday. That's a beautiful mantra. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So, uh, you're you're a huge Philadelphia 76ers fan. This is going to ama- go there. Okay. Well, it was an amazing weekend of NBA basketball. Mm-hmm. We were doing the live stream last night, and Kawhi with the big time shot, the first ever game winner in Game Seven. And you, of course, when there's a winner, there's a loser. Mm-hmm. You happen mm-hmm. to be the loser here, along with Joel Embiid. See the team go this far, and to lose on a shot like that, my my heart sank. So where were you? So I was at work, and it was a little deja vu because the infamous double doink. I was with all Bears fans, and I'm an Eagles fan, and I got up, and I like walked down the room and collected myself, but like joyously. Last night, it bounces. It bounces. Bounces again, <laughs> and that shot goes in, and once again, I'm taking a lap around the NBC basement, devastated. Did they troll you last night? No, I think they felt bad because the thing with the double doing, it was like Eagles bears. So what? everyone was really salty where last night, no one really cares about the Raptors. So what, when you saw Joel Embiid walk into the locker room and he's all full of tears. I was kind of happy to see that because I think that it lights a fire under you. And I think he needed that. It was beautiful, right? Yeah. He, oh, he really, really cares. That's mm-hmm. sweet, Joel Embiid. I love that. You're not, and yeah. I was like, good. I was like, you should be crying. You should be crying. I go to some weird place about it too. Like I, I judge myself. All Could right. I be emotional in that moment like Joel You've Embiid? you never cried after a sports loss, sports win? I don't, not like that. That was some real tears. He like, was devastated. Like, like, I mean, I'll have a tear come to the eye. Oh, but, I'm a crier. But like, I have wept with like time still on the clock. When was when's the biggest weeping moment of your sports fandom? A sports fan, uh, definitely the Super Bowl when the Eagles won the Super Bowl as a fan. Okay, so, I'm talking as a player. Even like in T-ball, I've had moments. Okay, but that's a, you're okay. You're an eight year old in or even T-ball. Like eighth grade, high school. I don't know. It just there's so much adrenaline going through you. So you've lost in a high school game and cried. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> ugly tears. You've never done that? No, no. I, I would. I'm sure other people have done that. I'm not crazy. I'm not saying you're crazy. I, Joel Embiid was sure. cry, crying I'm... last night, but I don't... I, Right. Maybe I'm just holding back. I think this is a... Maybe you're not in touch with your feelings. I Apparently you're not. You're censoring yourself. I, right. That's what's going on. That's this, this is why I have what I would call some ontological guilt going on here that I can't be that in the moment yeah. where it's just something spontaneously happens you lost it's over the shot goes in and now I'm weeping we I mean weeping he couldn't hold back but even like JJ Reddick couldn't answer questions post game he was getting choked up and he was like I don't want to answer that I'm sorry and he paused for a really long time and you could tell he was 
a welling up in his eyes. Right. So there's a lot of uncertainty with that team, what they're going to look like next uh, year. Oh yeah, no, you're you're completely screwed. The whole the, they're I'm all a, they're all Jimmy wait, Jimmy I'm, Bo- I'm in baseball mode now. Bryce See, Harper needs to uh Jimmy Butler is, is already he, if wherever he was living, he's out the door. He's he's already off to I LA. That. I loved having Jimmy on the team. Did you really? I loved having him. What did you like about having Jimmy on the team? I think that he has a certain grit and abrasiveness to him that vibes with that like blue collar Philadelphia energy. See, that's like that's the thing. People appreciate that abrasive guy. That's another thing where I feel when like... When he plays on your team, he's your guy. Yeah. But outside... When he was doing the ESPN interviews um, about his practice incident or whatever, I was like, this Jimmy Butler, he's a clown. And then two weeks later, he's in Philly and he's my guy. See, I think it's fake that he doesn't care that anyone likes him, but it, but he comes across like, I really don't care if you like me or don't like me. I'm just going to be myself. Did you enjoy the Warriors more than... With what I enjoy the winning, I enjoy the Warriors a whole lot more without KD than with KD. I thought that the game six win and the fire that they showed, and Clay Thompson pointing at the owner. I love Clay, I'm a big Clay fan. So to see him kind of light up and come back to life, the NBA is just better with Kevin Durant not on Golden State. It just is wherever he goes, whatever team he lifts up, that's going to be more interesting. Mm -hmm. The Warriors are more fun that way. Like, can they actually win playing that style? I know, like, Warriors fans would rather just have KD and win it the easy way. I don't know. Who the hell knows? I I, I just hope that uh, KD decides, you know what, I'm going to show the world that I can lift up another squad. Let's go. I'd be down. Well, let let him pair up. If he wants to play with Kyrie, that's cool. There's another guy who needs a massive uh, image rebuild. Mm-hmm. So It'll be an interesting offseason. Yeah. I'm loving it. We're talking NBA today on the podcast. Andy Greer, longtime assistant with the Knicks, the Rockets, the Chicago Bulls, the Minnesota Timberwolves is coming up right now. Uh, Andy also coached uh, in college as well. He's been around the game, been around some of the greatest coaches. So let's, uh, let's get to that right now. One of the most interesting characters in the NBA. I don't know if you actually want to be called a character, Andy Greer, but you have been, (laughs) you've gone from junior college to low level, D3, D2, D1, 18 years in the NBA, most recently with the Minnesota Timberwolves and Tom Thibodeau, who was on this podcast. And uh, I first met you, Coach, at Northern Illinois University, when you had a closet for an office, you're, you made it around the league. I'm, I'm impressed, Coach. Good, good work. Well, thank you. Uh, I've been very fortunate um, to get the opportunity to be in the NBA. And then once being here, um, working with some great coaches and great players. So um, I love my time uh, in college, 18 years I spent there. And um, the last 18 years in the NBA has been really rewarding. And the next opportunity, of course, uh, hopefully is coming sooner than later. I know you want to you want to keep going here, Coach. Correct? No doubt. Um, I love coaching. Um, like you said, I've been coaching um, the last thirty six years. Um, I'm just looking for an opportunity uh, to work with um, some players at great organizations and and just be part of a team. Um, one of the things that um, coaching and actually playing. Just being part of a team is so special. Um, I just look back uh, on my life and all my close friends I either coached with or played with and competed with. So um, I'm just looking for um, another situation like that. So you're known as a defensive guru. You're known as a matchup guru. You're known as being phenomenal with a game plan. And as we get deep into the playoffs here, these teams, right, Coach, they know each other. They know all the plays. Uh, you've been in five game sevens. Uh, you've won some. You've lost some. What's going on? Like, take us into behind the scenes. It's a, it's game five coming up. You know everything about each other, and then you guys are sitting there trying to gain some form of edge to, to get a victory. What, what goes on in a coach's room? Well, um, it goes back to, like, on a defensive end, your pick and roll coverage, has it been working? What adjustments need to be made? Uh, then you talk about, like, catch-and-shoot plays. Um, the NBA, not as many team run uh, as many catch-and-shoot as it was in the past, 
But if the, your opponent is running catch and shoot, what are you guys doing? What coverages are you using? Do you maybe need to blitz uh, like a Lou Williams coming off a down screen? Um, and then it, it goes back to like post defense. What are you doing in the post? Are you getting hurt by somebody in there? Do you have to double team? And then where is that double team coming from? Is it coming from the baseline? Is it coming from the top? Um, is it coming off a certain player? Those are the type of adjustments that are, are being made right now um, with those staffs. So one thing I noticed in the Rocket series is that they've, they've started to guard James Harden. I think how you would say it on the top side, right, Coach, where they're literally let, giving him a free path to the basket, but they don't want him catching the ball at the, you know, behind the three-point line with the defender in front of him. They're actually playing behind him towards the half-court line. I've never seen that before. What's your, what's your take on that strategy? Well, most people with, with James try and get him going right. You know, This way, um, as he pulls up to shoot, you're closer to the shot instead of away from it. Um, he likes going left more. So um, that is um, the strategy that most teams use against him. Try and get him going right. And, um, you know, obviously it's a difficult uh, challenge because he, he's so talented. How has he, in your mind, transformed himself from a very good player, you know, six-man originally with OKC, to one-time MVP? You have a, he has a very fair argument to be MVP this year. Probably not going to happen. But, like, I always looked at him, Coach, like, does, I, I wondered – does that guy really want to work to be the best? Because there was stuff like that I would hear about James that he enjoys having a good time. None of that apparently is true, or at least he's able to do all of it because this guy just keeps going and going and going. It's super impressive. Well, you said it. He, he does it all. He can shoot the three. He can beat you off the dribble. He can um, pull up in the lane, shoot a, a, a pull-up jumper. Um, and then the thing that all special players um, – the, the better players in this league get to the foul line, and he certainly does that as well as anybody in the league. So let's go back to Chicago, and you guys were going up against LeBron, and that was the toughest cover in the league then, and, and maybe, I guess, still is to this day. What, what was the strategy to try to slow LeBron down? Well, he, everybody talks about his physical ability. He is a basketball genius, so you have to mix it up with LeBron and uh, you have to try and keep him off balance. You can't give him a steady diet of the same thing because he's going to figure it out and hurt you. He likes to get um, teams to double team him and he likes teams to double team him away from the lane. This way he has more space to pass it. So you, when you're game planning for LeBron, you have to, decide where you're coming with the double teams, when you're coming with the double teams, because uh, one guy can't guard him. But like I, I just mentioned, you can't give him a steady diet of double teams because he'll pick you apart because he's such a great passer. There's always the strategy with, with guys like LeBron, and I guess I could throw any any great scorer. Maybe you just let him get his and try and you know, play him straight up. Did was it, I, I don't I, I forget how much you guys just did that like okay go ahead and score fifty but we're not going to let you get everybody else here twenty I mean would, when you go would you go back and forth and deciding like all right we'll try to just play him straight up and if he scores a ton he'll score a ton but we're not going to let anybody else get anything Yeah, what we tried to do with him is um, try and hold off on double team until late in the game. Uh, now that changed game to game if he uh, was hurting us early and. Uh, scoring a bunch in the first quarter we might have to you know throw in a double team but we tried to hold off the double teams until later in the game the fourth quarter um so uh, we're not spreading the court uh as much because uh, as i mentioned uh, he is a terrific passer and uh if you spread the court against him and you're putting two on him he's going to find the open guy and a lot of times that's for an open three Tougher cover, LeBron or KD, or how would you compare? They're both great. I mean, <laughs> you pick your poison. I mean, uh, Durant, a terrific shooter, uh, can fill the lane in transition. 
Uh, they're both great. I mean, you can't pick. Both of them are just terrific. They, they all, both of them beat you in many different ways. So uh, they both can shoot the three. LeBron's gotten better with that. They both can beat, beat you off to the dribble. And then, you know, when you double team them, they, they both find their teammates. So for an assistant like yourself, Coach, you get to practice, right? And then afterwards, some guys want to stay after they want to work on their games. Maybe you're out there helping them with their shooting or whatever it is. How do you go about connecting with a guy who's making, you know, insane money, $35 million, $30 million, whatever it is, and is so good, doesn't really need, quote-unquote, coaching, but yet they all, the great ones, they all want to get better. Like, how do, you, how do you get to have that guy trust you and maybe have at least a little bit of an impact on his game? Well, uh, since I've been in the NBA, um, I always treat my relationship with players as what can I do to help them, you know, and, and that's what I try to, to show them. My job is to help them get better so they help us win. If we win – um, the organization makes more money, and then if they get better and they help a team win, they're going to make more money. So I always treat it as like a business relationship in uh, the NBA. So I just try and like point out things that, that can help them be more successful. Uh, and I do that not only on the court, but, you know, with film. And, uh, you know, there, there's been NBA players that I, I've um, – got in my office after practice and, uh, I give them quizzes. I, I tell them to get up on the board and show me what a certain cut is or draw up our, our plays, offensive sets. So I'm challenging them to get better so they can, um, improve their careers. Who was the best at that as far as always knowing what was going on with the team and whoever the opposition was? Well, we've had uh, over the years uh, the Shane Battiers of the world, Kyle Corvers, Luol Deng. Um, we, we've had some really bright players. Um, you know, Yao Ming in the post was really good. Tracy McGrady doesn't get uh, enough credit for how smart he was as a player. Yeah, everybody talked about his physical talents, but he was a very bright player. So um, I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of great players. Um, I'm sure I'm missing some of them, but th- those are some that uh, are really bright uh, players. Yeah, and you were an assistant, just so people have, our, have the reference points here. You were assistant with the Knicks early 2000s, Mark Jackson, Latrell Sprewell, Tom Thibodeau was an assistant at that point. Uh, you go to the Rockets with Jeff Van Gundy, Pat Ewing's an assistant, T-Max playing, Matumbo, Rod Strickland, Yao Ming, Jawan Howard, uh, the Grizzlies, you got a young Mike Conley, Paul Gasol still around, Mark Ivoroni's the coach, Damon Stoudemire, Marcus Gasol's a rookie there, and then the Bulls teams that I think most people know, Rose and Noah and Taj, Jimmy. Uh, let, let, how, let's talk about Jimmy. 30th pick, last pick in the first round to you know what he's become today. How was it just like relentless work ethic for him to to you know go from a guy who couldn't get on the court or was barely on the court to being a top fifteen player in the league? Well, uh, he certainly worked hard. But uh, one of the great strengths about Jimmy's game is how smart he is. He's a very bright player. He picks up sets very well. He sees things like the great players in this league see things before they're they're going to happen, and they think ahead. And um, Jimmy um, is, is really a bright player. So um, I think that, you know, people talk about his physical and his shooting getting better. I think his, his mental edge, what, what he has over others, has certainly helped him become the player who he is now. Yeah. I, I talked to, you know, Tom Thibodeau was on the podcast, Coach. You know that. I, I mentioned Jimmy, and we, we talked about how, you know, Tibbs thought that Minnesota was the best place for him, and Jimmy obviously felt differently. As you were in the middle of that whole situation going down, like what, what was your viewpoint? Um, you know, I, I was disappointed uh, for the organization. I was disappointed for Jimmy. Anytime things don't work out, any relationship, um, both parties are at fault, I believe, or they have their hand in it. Uh, so Jimmy um, felt like it was time for him to go. The organization um, agreed and traded him. Uh, I don't think it was good for 
Jimmy, and I don't think it was good for the organization. But um, that's how relationships um, sometimes break up. Uh, you know, I, I think his time in Minnesota was great for the organization and good for Jimmy. Um, the organization lost 14 straight years, didn't make the playoffs. Jimmy's uh, attitude and playing ability came in, and he changed all that. And uh, what people don't realize is, you know, uh, about that year, Jimmy missed like 20-some-odd games. Yep. And yet we were one game outside of being um, the four seed in, in the West. I mean, so he certainly had a big impact on our team. And if he would have played more, um, I think the results might have been different. We wouldn't have been an A seed. We probably would have been a better seed. And who knows what happens in the playoffs if you're in a different uh, situation. Have you seen the Derrick Rose doc? You know what? Uh, I was in New York the other day at my sister's apartment. I turned on the TV about like 12:30, and the thing was on. So I watched about you know the last uh, well about 15 minutes of it. It wasn't really the end of it, but uh, you know, I, you know, I was so happy for for Derek to get his story out. And um, the part that I saw, Joe Keen was in it. Um, Tom was um, mentioned in it, so it's. I thought it was really good. Derek's been through a lot. Uh, he's uh, one of the, uh, one of my favorite players that I've ever coached because, you know, he was the best player in this league, and similar to uh, to Patrick Ewan, right? Like Patrick Ewan, you mentioned it, we worked together uh, in Houston, right? Patrick is is a top fifty player all time in the NBA, but the people who are around Patrick, he comes off like he's no big deal. Like he was like this guy who uh, was a free agent in the NBA. And, and Derek um, was the same way when uh, he was young in Chicago, he was a great teammate, very coachable. Uh, And then unfortunately for him, he got hurt and um, he's had a rough stretch, but I'm really happy for him. Uh, He had a great year this year, this, um, uh, movies coming out about him, and it, it really, I think, shows a different light uh, about him to his fans. And we would talk over the years, you always would say super nice things about Derek. I'm wondering, though, you know, because it did, it was sideways as far as, you know, him being heard, and he's he's released by Utah. You guys bring him in at the end of the season last year and he and he played pretty well but it was it was more limited but to do what he did this year did you think he still had that in him coach or did he surprise you you know it's interesting um like when you watch his games from last year uh physically you know he was moving great i mean just like i you know you watch him run jump i mean you don't see a, a big difference um, from last year to like his rookie year, uh, well, his second year that I was there. Um, so it was more, you know, like when you get hurt and, and hurt as many times, it's a lot about confidence. And, um, you know, he got his confidence back. Um, he improved his shooting. He worked in the gym. And um, like I said, I'm really happy for him because he, he came back in a big way and, and he certainly helped the Timberwolves this season. What would you say about your time with Joe Keem? You know, Joe and I uh, had a great relationship. We're both New Yorkers. We, we both um, <laughs> like to um, be honest and upfront with each other. Uh, I thought Joe was um, – I really enjoyed him because he he spoke from the heart. He played um, with great intensity. He was you know, a great teammate. It was never about Joe. Um, he was all about winning. Um, so I really enjoyed, uh, uh, you know, uh, coaching Joe. And I, I look back, you know, uh, last night I'm watching Denver uh, play San Antonio, and they're, they're going into game seven. And I think about my time in Chicago um, when we went to Brooklyn and uh, game seven, and Joe Keem had like – I think he had like 24 points and, and was a big factor in, in our game seven win on the road. So uh, all my memories of Joe are fond. Um, I really like him and his family a lot. Point center. I mean, not a, no one played that year. 
No one had really ever played the game quite the way Noah played it from that position. Would you agree? Yeah, and you know what's funny about that? And Joe, his skills, you know, his uh, passing ability, uh, his ability to put the ball on the floor. But what you don't hear about that is the genius of Tom Thibodeau. Because all you hear about Tom's uh, coaching ability is his defense. But that year in particular, we were shorthanded. We didn't have enough playmakers. And what Tom did was he put the ball into Joe's hands and um, good things happen. So, um, you know, even though you know Joe gets a lot of credit, I mean, I think he was third in the NBA balloting or something like that. As From the coaching standpoint, I'd like to see some people give Tom some credit because I thought he did a great job coaching offense with that team. Well, what do you want people to know about Tibbs? I mean, there, there's this perception out there that his entire life is basketball. He never leaves the gym, 6 a.m., uh, and then it's midnight, and then he le- and then he's back in five hours, and that I guess there's also this thing that you know Tom can only do it his own way. Y- you've known him a long time, Andy. I mean, what would you say? Well, I- I've been very fortunate to work with him for 13 years, and uh, I think he's one of the best coaches in the world. I, I truly do. For the critics who say he he works um, from six in the morning to midnight. Um, I, I think that's exaggerated. He, he works really hard. But you know what? That's what he loves to do. You know, it's, uh, it's not like he's in there miserable and then the next day he's cranky because he's working hard. He loves to coach. He loves to study the game. And what he does is he gives his team the best chance to win. I mean, by studying the game so much. And as far as, um, you know, his outside interests, you know, we we share a lot of dinners. We hang out a lot. You know, we've been to concerts together. Um, there people, you know, like to pin him into certain situations, but the people who truly know him um, really see a different side. And, um, you know, I just want people to know that he, he's a great coach. He's going to have your team prepared. Players love playing for him. And, um, on top of everything, he's a great friend. Yeah, I mean, you guys had great success in Chicago. You took the Timberwolves to the playoffs. I always enjoyed tips, uh, and it was great to have him on the podcast. I never uh, it, the, that whole, the, at least the especially the Chicago portion. That team, the players, Derek, Joe, Taj, Jimmy back then and the staff, I just thought it was a very easy group to root for. And uh, I know you guys wanted to do more, and if Derek hadn't gotten hurt, maybe you would have won the whole thing. But it was still a great era in Chicago watching Bulls basketball. It was a ton of fun as a fan. It was a ton of fun just to cover it from a professional standpoint as well. Uh, let me ask you about what would you what would you say about Jeff Van Gundy, who I love on TV, by the way, and I, and I love the fact that he's willing to grab the leg of Alonzo Mourning and hang on for dear life, mm-hmm. one of the great moments in NBA history. One of the things people don't know about Jeff and, and, and myself is that Jeff and I played together in college. We played at Brockport State. Um, for his dad, Bill Van Gundy was our coach. So I, I've known Jeff since we were uh, juniors in, in college. And, um, you know, as a player, uh, he was just as competitive as he is as a coach. You know, uh, great player. Uh, people, you know, they look at him, his, his stature is small, but he was really a fierce, uh, great teammate, uh, hard worker. Um, and you know, he's been, it's been interesting to follow his career. Um, after he graduated from Nazareth college, he went on to, uh, become a high school coach for a year and, uh, at McQuaid high school. And he had like a really good player that, um, Providence was recruiting. And, um, so, um, Rick Pitino showed up, Stu Jackson, they they hit it off, and then next thing I know, Jeff's headed off to Providence as an assistant coach. And, uh, you know, from there they went to the Final Four, and, uh, and you know, the rest is history. He went with uh, Stu Jackson uh, to the Knicks after Rick left, and uh, he had a, a great uh, NBA career. And uh, I'm sure at, 
um, sometime in the near future, uh, he'll get another opportunity to do it again. So you think he wants to coach again? Yeah, I, I think coaches love to coach, and, and he's he's a coach. Um, there's certain aspects of coaching um, that aren't that much fun, but um, there are others like um, being part of a team, being part of a coaching staff, the competition. I know those are the things that he misses. Um, so, um, yeah, I see him getting back in it at some point. Do you feel the same chemistry uh, around a college team with an NBA team? It's a different, it's a different, um, vibe, no doubt. Um, and I love my time in, in college. Uh, like I mentioned, 18 years, um, I, I coached some great players that you heard about, like Harold Miner, who was player of the year. Uh, in college basketball, and then I've coached other guys that at Genesee Community College that you've never heard about. But the one thing that is common is, as a college coach, you're trying to mentor them uh, and help them become men. You know, they come to you as young men, and you're trying to teach them things to become men and be productive in society. So uh, it, it's different. Um, it's uh, in, in the NBA, it's more like you're a, a peer with them and you're trying to help them because you're all part of a team. They're grown men. You're a grown man. And you're just trying to help each other get to a, a certain spot where you can win. In college, it's, it's different. You're trying to help them grow as individuals and become, you know, productive um, men in, in society. I know you don't think anyone cares about this coach, but I got to bring it up. You were you were the head coach at the United States Merchant Marine Academy, home of the Salty the Sea Dog, I believe is the mascot. Is that correct? <laughs> no, that's that's not correct. But we we can continue. That's what it that's what it says on Wikipedia. It's the Mariners. Okay. It's the Mariners. Well, it says here the mascot is Salty the Sea Eagle. My bad. Oh, oh, maybe maybe they've changed that. I I don't remember that. Okay. Well, right. The nickname is the Mariners, but your mascot is Salty the Sea Eagle. Apparently, you weren't paying attention to, to the Sea Eagle. <laughs> what? But that's like that's like such a unique position. These guys are fighting for their country and they're also playing basketball for you. I mean, what, what was that like? It was awesome. I mean, the young men that I had the opportunity to coach there, um, it was terrific. Um, I went there, we took over a program that, that was awful. I mean, they were, they won three games, three games and six games the three years before we got there. And then uh, my staff and I, we went out, we recruited, um, some really good kids. Um, and we, we built it up. We won seven, nine, 16, 19, made the NCAA tournament. And it was really one of the highlights of my coaching career. And um, the great thing about looking back on those teams are the individuals and the relationships that, you know, I have to even to this day. You know, I, um, I've been to former players' weddings. Um, next month, believe it or not, one of my former players is a colonel in the Marines wow. that he's taken over a troop of 3,500 men. They're having a big ceremony for him in Camp Lejeune. And uh, he invited me down there. So I'm really looking forward to um, being part of that. But the things that made Kings Point special, you know, we won and, and we won big at the end. But it goes back to the special relationships that I had with the kids. Would you have guys that were literally in the middle of the season you and you'd lose them because they'd have to go off and fight? Well, not fight. These guys, um, they went out to sea and worked on merchant ships. So okay. we did have some of that where um, they were out for a little bit, then came off the ships or like right before the season. And then like right after the season, they would be jumping on a ship going all across the world. So, um, our guys weren't fighting, but they were out there um, on merchant marine ships. Wow, that's unique. I I, I love that, Coach. Did you have yeah. to? Could you? Did you wear the normal suit? Did you have to do anything special as far as the dress? No. See, I was a civilian, so I didn't have to wear that. <laughs> <Okay>. But <laughs> um, one of the things that I did do, like you know, in dock, which is like when they come in, they first come in. Um, they get the kids up, you know, first they shave their head, they get them up, you know, 
five o'clock in the morning. This is a great story. And, um, you know, they run the, the guys, right? And it's really difficult that, that first week or two, um, being away from home, having people yell and scream at you. And so I was really worried that we were going to lose the kids. You spend all year recruiting these kids. And then all of a sudden, you know, if things don't go well that first week, they drop out and all that time wasted. So I used to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and go running with them. And, you know, you're really not supposed to talk to them. But, like, I'm talking to them. I relax. Things will be good. Indoc is almost over. And one of the funniest things that happened was I'm running. I hit a pothole. And I go down. And these guys are looking straight ahead, laughing their heads off at me, you know, falling. But they couldn't show the emotion as they were running. So that's a, a great story about uh, Kings Point and Indoc. You wanted to be in there with them, Coach. You, you, if, they're, <laughs> if, if they got to get up, you'll. Hey, I appreciate you. I'll be up with you. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, all right, let's let's wrap up here with uh, how do you see the playoffs going, or who do you like coming out of the East? I like Toronto. Wow. And I think Masai has done an unbelievable job of putting together. Now, you know, all rotations are getting down to like eight, nine guys, mostly eight, right? And if you look at like the their roster, the eight guys who are playing at this point, I know OG might come back and I think he'll probably take the minutes of um, Norman Powell. But – you know, they got all two-way players. I mean, they can they can hurt you on offense, and they're darn good defenders. And I think you, if you look at everybody's roster and compare them, nobody has more two-way players than they do. I mean, Milwaukee's been super impressive. 45 games they've won by 10 or more, Coach. I mean, they've been the best offensive team and the best defensive team. Did you see Giannis getting to this level? No, he, he's been unbelievable. But you know what? He just works and works and works. And, to, you know, to piggyback on what you're saying, I think Boston will get out of that series as well. But if Malcolm Brogdon comes back, and I know they say he's going to miss the first two games, if he comes back, I think that could be a big boost for them. Fair enough. And then uh, do you think the Warriors are in real trouble in the West, or do you see them getting through? No, they're too good. I don't see anybody. Uh, I give uh, a lot of credit to the, the Clippers, Doc Rivers, uh, to to push him to, to six games. Fair enough. Andy, great to talk to you. Can't wait to see you uh, wherever you end up next. Uh, you, you'd prefer to be in the league, right, but you're, you're open to college. Is that fair to say? Yeah. You know, I just – I love to coach. I want to coach. So we'll see. Um you know, I have an agent working on it, and I'm lucky I have good uh, friends that I've worked with and other assistants that I work with who are looking out for me. So just looking forward to the next opportunity, whether it be in, in the NBA or college. Coach, good stuff. We'll, uh, we'll catch up soon. Thanks for being on On the Mark. Bye, Mark. Take care. Thanks. Thanks to my man, Andy Greer, as we move along in the podcast. Let me bring in our guy, Ethan Blumenthal, who always brings the noise on On the Market to see you, Ethan. Happy Mom's Day to you. Happy Mom's Day to you as well, and to all the moms out there particularly. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. We were uh, just talking, Ashley Young and I were just talking about uh, crying in sports. You are, you're an athletic guy. You're, you're a 4-5 or five tennis player. You, you've done things on athletic fields. Do you cry? Have you ever cried after an athletic event that you played in? I absolutely have. Thank uh, you. Absolutely have. And I don't do it. It's not a daily occurrence. Uh, it's, I don't do it at the at the export gym when, uh, when I lose a, when I lose a game, uh, pickup game. But uh, for instance, last high school game of my career, a lot of tears. What sport? Last baseball. Last college baseball game. Hold on. Whoa. We See? Got major athletic they talent They looked at me here. like I was crazy because no. we were talking about Joel Embiid coming off the court last night weeping. Definitely emotional, and you're definitely you're there, and you've put in all this work. You know, you're you're there with your teammates, your family, brothers. I mean, there's blood, sweat, and tears. I got you as a second baseman in high school. Am I right? 
Uh, it's insulting that you don't think I have the arm strength to play shortstop. I don't. Uh, I played shortstop in center field. It yeah. was it, it was meant as as a slight dig, and, it, and you, it was. You, you you caught it. Good. Yeah. Big, okay. So then and then you played college baseball. Um, you're looking at uh, the star at Beloit College. Okay. Small small school in Wisconsin. Okay. I knew. We hey, it is what it is. Hey, listen here. Come on now. Yeah, well, we've talked about our size here. That we're you know you're five eight five whoa, nine whoa, 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 whoa. five ten five nine five and three. nine and three quarters, and right. I have to give the nurse five bucks. So she writes down 510 when I go to the doctor. Right. We're the, okay. we're, the, we're the same exact height. Oh, yeah. same. Guys. <laughs> Are you we're serious? All, we're all five. Yeah. You're five, nine and three quarters? Like five, nine. See, five, nine and three quarters matters because you yeah. really, as a dude, mm-hmm. you really want to be five, ten. Yeah. The, the, the three quarters That's, hurts. What does it say on your driver's license? Five, ten. Five, ten. Five, ten. Absolutely. Actually, like two? We, we, we pay them off. Yeah. Or, we just, or we lie. You can right. fill that out yourself. The DMV? That's like a free lie. You don't right. need to No, I know, but I feel like if I'm writing it down, I feel like everyone's staring at me. Like, mm. I bet that guy's going to put an inch taller than he actually oh, is. But it's like know? a guy code, I bet. Like, everyone's doing it, so. I, I actually want to, since we're talking about lying, it just made me think of my morning. Uh, Ethan, we brought in uh, some lox and bagels for you, and, uh, and I brought in two coffee cakes as well. And so I went in and I took the two coffee cakes that I wanted and I put it on the counter. Then I went up to the counter and I ordered my 25 bagels for the office and my cream cheese and my locks and all that. And then so she gives me the bill and I go and I take the coffee cakes and I take my whole thing and I put it in the car. Are we eating stolen coffee cakes? So, so, and I, and I, and I'm thinking there as I'm walking out with the coffee cake, like, I just stole this coffee cake flat out. She didn't charge me for it. I have it. It's in the car. It's done. Like I just got away with $25 worth of coffee cake. And then, and, and then, so, but then I said to myself, Carm, are you going to be 16 year old Carm forever or are you actually going to be adult Carm? And so it was just this moment of just battle. And I just got myself to go back in. I, wow. you, you did not charge me for this coffee cake. I want to pay for this. And I knew also that I was doing it on the company card, which is going to be a whole thing here. Like now I got two bills at this thing. I'm going to have to deal with that. But I went in and I walked out and I was so damn proud of myself. I paid for the coffee cake. I these are the, these so are the little wins. I am so proud of you. And I would like to know a little bit more about the 16 year old Carmen. What would oh. he have done besides just that i mean it sounds like he got up to some some misadventures i mean i i've ended at wrigley field for for many years i you know i would walk right into the cooler and stuff as many malt cups as i possibly could into the into my thing and just go out and sell them and walk and i was making malt cups the the, the frosty oh, the frost. okay, okay, yeah, okay. The frosties. Come i on, didn't now. know the first eight times i heard the story either okay before i was i thought we were talking malt liquor or something i don't know malt cups i know what you're talking about i didn't know i still don't know you were like ice cream you played college baseball at beloit you got to know what a frosty malt is i do yeah absolutely is this a midwest thing well, yeah, with the little the, with the wooden spoon right. and the ice cream, it was two bucks as a kid. Now it's like eight bucks. It's a total rip off. I, I don't even know if they're. I don't even know if they walk around frosty malts anymore. They've they've frosty they've malt? they've, uh, they've. This is why you well, don't. They have lemon ices. I mean, that's yeah, the same ch- same concept. Chill lemon chill. Chill lemon chill. I've chill. never right. seen this. Right. I mean, I had friends uh, who are lawyers now who got fired selling at the ballpark. It was just too much temptation. You were making you know fifty sixty bucks selling frosties, but oh, I can just walk out of here and 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 not pay for this and and walk out with three hundred fifty dollars. I'm I'm gonna make that decision. I'm I'm proud of you, and you know who I think would really be proud of you would be your mother. Uh, yes, she would uh r.i.p glass carmen lost her at an early age but let's get around there and we're going to talk mom's day you've done a whole thing on mother's day for us today of course i always come prepared for you it's up all (laughs) night uh so i'd say first of all you know shout out to all the moms out there who not the moms who not not the not the moms who have the the nba stars or the mlb stars right but the moms who are out there watching their six-year-old hit a ball off a tee run the third base it's 48 degrees it's raining outside but they're still out there they're getting the gatorades they're getting the, the, the snacks after the game those are the real those are the real sports moms in my book that, i mean that's big time you know what i was thinking though like could you imagine like you played college sports so obviously you were pretty good imagine being the hey, mom shucks, of the kid who's just so bad like the worst one on the team so it's, i'm sure it's hard enough to watch a t-ball game where it drags on but imagine being the mom of the kid that just like sucks yeah i it's hard to imagine and if you've ever been you guys ever when was the last time you were at a t-ball game per, had one no years. no when you were when you were when you watched one i mean I, i've done oh, some coaching yes, and i got little cousins no. that i'm get dragged out to go see a game and it's difficult it's so difficult boring. to watch your little cousin out there in right field and he's looking he's looking the other way right he's digging he's making he's doing stuff in the sand i mean he's making right. you know really you know uh, nuanced versions of sandcastles out there and no one has any idea where the ball is who's mm-hmm. what what's going on 
and the moms are out there and they're watching and they're cheering. You know, for what? It's hard to hard to say, but they're I, cheering. So I know you're. We wanted a lot of people said they have the best moms. Ashley, do you have the best mom? Yeah. But I do you would think, say that. I would go to bat and say that. Yeah. I I would go to bat and say that too. I did. I do, I do love my mother, and she's in a lot for me, but like we talked about last week, she kind of screwed me with the whole height thing, right? Yeah. Too short to be an NBA player, too tall to be a jockey. So, you know, <laughs> she can't have everything, but she's been great. I mean, genetics but, go two ways. Let's not place all the blame on mom here. No, that's no, that's absolutely true, but maybe she should have picked someone, you know, maybe oh, a little taller. I don't know. Okay. Listen, I mean, okay. it's, it's up to both of them, but today's Mother's Day. On Father's Day, I'll say the same thing about my dad. <laughs> So here's my, here's my kind of idea for you all, right? So people post on social media all the time, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Oh, I have the best mom in the world. Right. What an absurd, bold statement, right? Yes. What are the odds that millions of moms out there in the world that you have the best mom? I think it's pretty unlikely. So I think we need to put this to the test. A little competition, a little mom fight club, if you will, right? We get moms. You say, you go out on the limb. You say, my mom's the best mom. Let's prove it. Let's get them in an octagon and let's go full throttle. Mom Fight Club. What I, do you guys think? I, well, <clears throat> there's, a, there's a, I, I like the idea, but you know, some moms are lovers. They're not a fighter. Like that's would you, true. I'm, oh, like, my mom would win in a heartbeat. Yeah, <laughs> I think she'd win. Do you, so, do you want me to get Linda and Maria? We'll get them. In, can we get them in here in the podcast studio? Can yeah, we fight in the podcast I think we studio? Put some, put some gear up. Yeah, right. <clears throat> wow, you're you're saying that your mom would your mom? I think she's like me. Like, don't take her off. Uh, wow. Yeah, she's. Comp- I get the competitiveness from her. Have you ever been in a fight, Ashley? No, I have not. Really? No, mm-hmm. no, no, nothing on this. I on hit your... a guy in a bar once. You hit a guy I in the bar once? Bar, but that wasn't like a fight. That was like a sucker punch. Well, I mean, I, uh, when I was growing up, my mom and I used to do Tybo together. Do you guys remember Tybo? Oh, yeah, they got Billy. Yeah, Billy, 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 like, yeah, yeah. So we used to do that. Great you know, radio. In the living room. Like yeah. Uh, so just to give you a hint of my mom's capability. Wow. Okay, yeah. <laughs> So if you're challenging it, just so you know, she's a, she has a background in Tybo. <laughs> That's uh, I'm amazed by both these stories. Number one, you're kicking the crap out of dudes in bars. Can, can you picture that though? No, really, maybe a little bit. Yeah, kicking, a, a, kick, kicking the crap out of dudes in bars. Yeah, well, just That's not uh, a reputation. It was a well, one-time thing, and I hit him. Now here's my did he real question. Did you get him good? No. That's too I realize bad. I'm not as strong as whenever, I think I Whenever am. I yeah. watch in a movie or whenever I think about punching someone, which isn't that often, I'm a pretty nice guy, but I always am <laughs> like, man, it must really hurt if you really punch right? him. It hurts your fist. So, like, did it hurt There's your no fist? There's no meat here. This right. is straight bone I know. on the yeah. knuckles. Yeah. yeah. So, I don't know how people actually, like, fight. I will go down really briefly my one bar fight that didn't happen, but uh, this guy was a huge Boston Red Sox fan. I think I might have shared this before. He's a huge Red Sox fan. enough to punch him. Right. I was like, well, this is before the Cubs won the World Series, before mm-hmm. the Red Sox won. I'm like, hey, man, you know, we're in this together. And he's like, no, we're not. The Cubs are pathetic. I'm like, dude, until you win it, we're in there together. And we got in this whole Boston-Chicago fight. That's the dumbest fight that, I've ever yeah, heard of. That's, but that's, please tell me more. Well, just it wrapped up with, uh, I, I was like, you know what? Fuck the Red Sox and fuck Larry Bird. And when I threw the F Larry Bird out, <laughs> Larry Bird. <laughs> that, that's when he wanted to hit me. Yeah. I'm like, MJ, dude. Uh, and so he cocked his fist and like, and then his, his friend like grabbed him like, oh God, I looked, I knew this, this happened in Atlanta. I was wearing my Cubs floppy hat. I mean, come on. A floppy hat? Like a sun hat? Yeah, one of those. Like a bucket I, hat? I Ooh. bet you look good in a floppy I, hat. I'm man. strong in a floppy. A floppy it was hat? Ap- it was after a game. You can tell by like looking at his face, his, 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 his facial structure, like his way his head shape is perfect make, for him. Do they not make floppy hats anymore? I, no, I know what a floppy hat's like. like you're talking I, about the sun they're all the way around? This is what I'm picturing, like a sun hat. Like one of those beachy no, like, Instagram blogger sun hats. No. <laughs> you just pulled up a Victoria's Secret floppy hat the girl's wearing it's a bra. Three people. That's people. Okay, but... Okay. That's not what Carmen looks like. That's not what I was. That's not what you meant, though. So you're talking more of like a put in, hat? Put in Cubs floppy hat. Cubs. Try, try that one. Floppy hat. <laughs> Stay tuned, y'all. It's going to be blue. Oh, it's a bucket hat. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I have one of these. Exactly. It's one of those. I burnt it. Now I've, you know. I burnt it. <laughs> I don't wear that anymore. That's actually that. a really nice floppy hat. Mine wasn't that nice. But so, okay. Uh, I think so we. If you want to get into a fight with that, though, fuck Larry Bird. That's the way to do it. Yeah. I yeah, agree. yeah. Let's do our notable moms. Yeah, no- notable moms here. So <laughs> we gave a shout out already to our mothers, okay? Um, and they'll be meeting in the octagon soon. Uh, next mother. Uh, I know you guys don't watch Game of Thrones, Mm-mm. but I just have to give a quick shout out because last night was the second to last episode, right? So uh, Daenerys Targaryen, the mother of dragons, she right? She's the one with the blonde hair? like The, the super, the super bleach long? blonde okay, hair. Cool, yeah. Cool. And for those listeners out there who watched last night's 
You're good. Yeah. We watched it. last night's uh, show. What I would say is, holy smokes, wink, wink, boom. You guys, when you get there in like eight years, you'll be like, something, I know exactly I think what he's talking like, about. The whole like city burnt down. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Something. Spoiler, spoiler. I don't want to spoil anything. Okay, I have a hot take about spoiler alerts for Game of Thrones. Okay. Why don't we have spoiler alerts for like sporting events? Like, no one's like, there's a ban on the Super Bowl. You can't tweet about the Super Bowl. Like, Game of Thrones is a live event that everyone is watching at the same time. So this whole, like, spoiler sensitivity is ridiculous. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, see, here's the thing. I was behind until literally That's yesterday. That's a personal problem. Okay, but see, but why Why can't we just see? This is why the world is, is crumbling down, okay? Because we all need to be nice to each other, right? Why do I need <laughs> to have my Game of Thrones spoiled? I don't want to spoil it for other people. You guys haven't watched it. What if you guys want to watch oh, it? By but, the time but, I watch it or even care about it, I'm sure sure I'll forget any conversation we've ever had. Yeah, but you shouldn't have to. You, you, don't, you don't need to hold back because somebody didn't watch it. That's on them. They gotta, if they, they, you got, you're up but to I think date. You should, I think we should at least announce it that we're, you know, it's a spoiler. So, you know, do All give right. yourself some earmuffs. <laughs> but I just want to give a shout out to Daenerys Targaryen because the mother of dragons. The next mother I have here, uh, a big one, Mother Nature. Oh, oh damn. So Mother Nature is kind of a big deal, right? I think lately, though, this weekend... She's kind it's of dying. Kind of dying, right. So that's the thing, right? I feel like mothers here are the unsung heroes in our lives, and mother, and we don't always treat them with enough respect, just like we aren't treating Mother Nature. Hashtag global warming. Mm. Have um, you guys, on an, as an aside about the earth and, and people and stuff, um, have you guys watched the Flat Earther documentary on Netflix? Did, did Kyrie Irving put that one out? <laughs> he, yeah, it's him. He sponsored it. Um, but, I haven't seen it. So anyways, are you guys just, I want to be clear who I'm sitting here with. Are you guys globe earthers or are you flat earthers? I'm still torn. You're torn? I'm torn. Yeah. Torn? What? I'm just kidding. He's obviously feel, full-fledged flat earther. I, yeah. I mean, I, I... You look like a flat earther. Yeah. Right? I do. I'm a little confused right now, uh, but I, be, I do believe the world is round. Okay. Uh, that's, my, that's my hot yeah. take over here. So here's what you should really do. <laughs> Everyone should go and watch the Netflix documentary on flat earth because there's so many people out there who truly, truly... I mean, it's this whole thing. They do experiments to try to prove that the earth is flat, and then when it proves that the earth is round, they're like... Oh, man, that was weird. I guess something must have been weird with our experiment. I guess we'll have to retry it. Um, but they legitimately believe it. It's very confusing, but that's what they believe. They believe that, that you can fall off the edge. Question uh, for you. Was yes. there any point during that documentary where you felt, hmm, maybe the earth is flat? Great question. And had I not been given such, such strong roots by my mother, okay? <laughs> Shout out to moms again, all right? Then I might have gone over the edge and said, you know what, I'm gonna go on an expedition to go find the edge of the earth. But instead, I had a good mom and a good dad and I'm a normal person and I'm like, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty sure that all the scientists know, what's up? I once flew to China and they have... <laughs> That's, That's the, the end of the story, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they have a thing on the plane where it shows you where you're going. And you actually go over the Arctic. And it was at that point that I felt, for, personally, that it was confirmed that, indeed, the world is round. Because if it was flat, you couldn't just go over the but Arctic. But how do you know that's not fake? Well, I... So, I, in, the, in the Flat Earther documentary, good point, right, everything is, like, the government. It's government is behind it all, you know? So, anytime you see something or, you know, if you if you can't get to the edge of the Earth, it's because the government has put up something there. Barriers. That barriers. Right. And, to make you think that because it's a whole conspiracy. Right. Uh, so mom sports analogies, you know, I've, I've been watched a lot of sports in my life and I was thinking about who would be the real moms, you know, on the sports fields, courts, whatever. Okay. Uh, so here you go. Tell me which one you guys think okay. is the most accurate description of like the typical mom. Okay. So moms are the undersized power forwards who play scrappy defense and turn a game's momentum by taking a charge. I'm not going with A. Go, what's B? Okay. So B, uh, moms are the offensive linemen that nobody knows their name, okay? And they're always playing with a club on their hand because they've broken their hand every week for their <laughs> entire six-year career. Three, we got um, moms are the poor-hitting catchers, the guys out there, not the Buster Poseys, the guys, not the Wesley Contreras who hit home runs or the Mike Piazzas, but the guys who just they bat in the eight hole, you know, uh, they've never been a good hitting catcher, but they catch 15 innings in the rain and they go out the next day, catch another 10 because that's what they do. They're grinders. What's next? That's it. That's all I got. That's <laughs> it. Yeah. I was waiting for three D. options. I was like, Sorry, D is going to be the one that gets three me options. going. You, of those three... It just makes me sad that we clearly like take our moms for granted is what I took out of that analogy. 
but they're also one? incredibly valuable. But you also put you sort of put them in there. They're not that skilled. Like the offensive lineman's not the quarterback. The backup catcher is not no, the second baseman. No, but they, they are skilled. skilled. I mean, at. being a catcher, I mean, it's a, it's a skilled position. I mean, it's, it takes a lot of hard work and effort. I just think that they're the unsung heroes. You don't want to give them enough credit for really getting down and dirty in the trenches. Yeah, but the backup catcher is not as skilled as the shortstop or the pitcher. Let's okay, be well, honest. That's, that's I mean, true. You, you, it doesn't need to be a backup skills. catcher. I don't know if I said skills. backup catcher. Okay, just, fine. You know. the, the, they're not the, in it for the glory. Right. Exactly. That's 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 mm-hmm. I think the bottom line here. I mean, if I could have any of those, I would. I, I think I, I, t- I want. The, I want the. I want the offensive lineman. Me too, because yeah. they make me feel safe and protected. Right. We love you, mom. That was beautiful. Yeah. Shout I'm out to sorry the moms. I compared you to an offensive uh, lineman. Uh, I love you. You're beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> see you in the octagon. Also, Ethan. Great to see yeah. you. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Michael Kopech in the studio. We'd rather you were in the dugout, and I, I know that's where you'd like to be. Yeah, thanks, man. I'm glad to be on. Uh, yeah, so I'm just here basically trying to be a part of the team. <laughs> it's uh, It's been kind of a slow start for me because I'm down in Arizona right now, and I've been having to you know, watch what's been going on from afar. Um, but it still seems exciting, and I'm glad to be here and just see a little bit of it up close. Yeah, I mean, I'm following you along Twitter, and you're rooting uh-huh. on your guys, and you've been getting, throwing Tim Anderson a ton of love. I know, I know you yeah. love what Seven's been doing. Yeah, no, T.A. is the man. I mean, he, he goes about his business the right way. He carries himself with a lot of confidence, and he leads the staff. I mean, it, it's really fun to just play with him on your team. And, you know, I, I, I want to be physically a part of it, but I can't be. So it, it's just really cool to see – him coming into himself and everybody really having fun so far because I think that's where it's going to start. So when you walk in the clubhouse down there, like, oh, there's Kopech. Does, does it feel like, you, like, do I have to reintroduce myself? What's, <laughs> what, what's that like? I kind of feel, honestly, I kind of feel like halfway part of the team. Like, I, I still, you know, love the guys. It's awesome being around everybody. But obviously, my time here was pretty restricted, and I have about two weeks total on the Major League Baseball field. So... I kind of have a taste of it, but you know, it, it's it's just enough to know that I miss it a lot. So yeah, it was unbelievable when you when you came up last year, and I know that. Uh, yeah. I mean, you, I mean, you're looking out the field right now. It just yeah. you, you could feel this. That you could you still sort of just feel that the excitement of that, just the the debut sort of rolling through you a little bit. Absolutely. I mean, I, it was electric that day. I I really. Uh, I didn't know what to expect. I had no idea. I didn't expect that by any means. Um, but I don't think there's anything that can really compare to a moment like that. I was I felt so welcomed and so part of like you know part of the team already before I had ever thrown a pitch. So it was really cool to be a part of that. And one of my starts last year was against these guys, my former team. So it's cool to be here for this series too. Yeah, you were you were talking with the media yesterday, and of course you were asked about Chris Sale and. <laughs> You remember that guy, but it's yeah. it, it's it's a compliment that you're traded for a guy of that talent. And then I I I mean, you were asked if you're motivated by that. I'm thinking I'm motivated to be as good as I can be if I'm traded for this guy or that guy. I don't right. know how, how that all resonates with you. Yeah, no, and that that's pretty much the way I look at it. I mean, that, that's the only way you really can look at it because if you're always comparing yourself to the guy that you were traded for, or the guy that's your comparison or whatever, then you're kind of limiting yourself. Um, and I'm not saying that one day I'm going to be better than Chris Sale. But if I end up having that potential and I've limited myself to less, then I'll never know. You so. got to dream it big, right? right? I mean, why would you say, why can't I be better than him? I mean, you, right. w- you wouldn't be in this position right now uh, playing big league baseball right? if you didn't have you know, a ton of confidence in yourself and you weren't dreaming it as big as possible. Right. Like, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm – at a point where I'm not really trying to look too far ahead because I'm trying to take it day by day. But at the same time, my goal is to be the best I can possibly be. And whatever that potential ends up being, you know, is up to how well I handle it. All right, so let's go into that day-to-day. What What is a standard day for you right now? Um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of tedious, but not too difficult. Um, I'm at a point where I'm doing a lot of shoulder strengthening, a lot of uh, just range of motion stuff to make sure that I'm not cutting myself off or limiting myself or maybe getting too stiff. So it's a lot of little stuff. And then I'm full go in the weight room. So I'm, I'm as strong as I've ever been. I'm probably in the best shape I've been in a couple of years. I, I feel really good going through everything. Um, it's just 
patience is what it is. That the main part of this process is patience. So I'm watching it today, and you're th you're throwing off flat ground. I think you just were telling me it's your second time you've done that. Yeah. So I'm sitting here like, is he throwing too hard? Is he throw? Is he just right. feeling comfortable? It's like how do how do you know how much you can let loose out there? Because you, you were it looked to me like you were teeing it up. Uh, you know, I don't know if you're, how, how close to 100 percent do you think you were going? Um. So I actually had this talk quite a bit with our staff, and it was basically what does my percentage of perceived effort need to be? Um, how close to, you know, max effort do I need to be? Am I even anywhere near that? And the answer is no, really. I just need to kind of pull the reins back, slow down, um, realize that I am just close to halfway, uh, not really far enough along to be letting the ball rip. So I'm at a point where I'm just trying to have feel for the ball no matter how far I'm throwing. So I'll go out to 150 feet or so and then come back in and throw flat grounds. But my main focus is feel, and it's not really effort. But it's human tendency or just I, <laughs> you, you you sort of want to know what's there at the same time, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, and I've, uh, I've let a few go probably a little too hard, and I've been told immediately to, hey, cut that out. So it's just – I'm, but the good news is I know I have more. So I I know I'm holding back. I yeah. I know that it's going to be there when I need it to be there, but I don't need it right now is the thing. Yeah, that makes sense. So just for to try to explain to those of us uh, amateur softball playing at this, when you're talking about feel and you have Tommy John, like how does the ball feel differently to you now than, say, before? Can you explain that? Yeah, kind of. It's it's not necessarily the way the ball itself feels in my hand. It's the way my arm feels when it moves. And and it's not a bad thing. It's just there's a new body part in there that's not used to what I've usually done. And so while I'm trying to, you know, get back to feeling normal, so to speak, which was for me a high effort guy, um, I have to start slow and build up a little bit and build up a little bit more all the way up until I've had feel so to speak from my lowest velocity to my highest velocity which is something I kind of struggled with beforehand I was the guy that would get out there I'd rip the ball a few times and then I'd feel good and loose but I think this is ultimately going to help me with my command so you would go throw to, to warm up for a game how many pitches would it take you before you're ready to roll um you know if I was feeling good I could probably be Ready to, I could probably be all the way out to the fence and back within 20 throws and then on a mound in four or five minutes. Wow. Yeah, I, I would warm up pretty quick, but that probably has a lot to do with why I got hurt in the first place. So I'm, I am going to be more cautious about that. And, you know, that's, that is part of the program. So do you have to rework your mechanics of throwing or are you going to try to be the exact same way? Um, I wouldn't say the exact same way. I think that I think I'd be. You know, foolish to believe that my mechanics are perfect and unflawed and everything. So, I'm gonna try to make tweaks to clean everything up. Uh, I don't think there's anything that needs to be really changed, but I could have a smoother arm path. I can have, you know, more downhill angle. There's a lot of things that are small but add up, and I think that's really what I'm just gonna do is try to focus and clean everything up. Is there any one particular in the organization right now that you're leaning on going through the process? Um, there's a few people. I mean, whether that's the guys in the clubhouse here with me um, or the training staff in Arizona or my strength coaches, everybody's been really supportive. And, I mean, obviously, aside from the team, I have the support of my family, so it's really easy to talk to them about it. It's been actually a pretty smooth process for me so far, and I, I feel comfortable with where I'm at because of that. You just had a birthday, right? Yeah, April 30th, yeah. Anything special? Uh, I got to go see the family. Um, first time in a little while because I've kind of bounced around since surgery. But uh, it's kind of funny. My nephew's birthday is April 26th. My sister's is April 29th. Mine's oh. April 30th. So we all kind of celebrate within a week there. And it's pretty cool to see them all together. My fiance has an April 30th birthday. Oh, it's a good birthday. <laughs> I haven't gotten her a gift yet. Got to work on that. Oh. Uh, story for another time. Uh, hey, I love what I, I just love what you're doing as far as supporting the uh, people in the community. I know you're, we were talking about Tim before. Uh, you retweeted autism awareness on Matt Harvey. You talked about justice for Luca, which was uh, an incident that was extremely troubling to see. You've you've talked. You're 
there seems to be like this big Michael Kopech heart that you want to put out there as you continue to, you know, develop in the White Sox organization and have a foothold in Chicago. It seems like you want to do stuff off the field as well. Absolutely. And, you know, this is probably something that I should have a little bit more time to talk about. And I could talk about it for hours or days or weeks or whatever. But for me, it's really been, you know, a a coming to myself or a realization or whatever you want to call it since I got called up that, you know, that wasn't it. I, I didn't just get called up to have a big league career and, you know, make a lot of money and live a luxurious lifestyle. It, that That's not it for me. I have been fortunate enough to work myself to a platform that I can actually help people and people that need help. Um, I'm not around a bunch of people that need help every day because I'm surrounded by my teammates who are fortunate enough to be major league baseball players, you know, so... But I am at a point where I can reach people that do need help. And I think I would be selfish and unfair to not use that for that reason. So, I'm, yeah, I, I want to give back. I want to help people that need help. I want to, you know, if nothing else, just show people that, you know, we do care. We're not just athletes. You know, there, There's something that we can do that's a bigger picture. So I, I'm, you know, not for any any kind of notoriety, not for any kind of light. I don't want anything like that. I just, I truly do want to help people. So, I mean, if I have the opportunity to do so, I'm going to try to. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's awesome. And you you have a great chance to be extremely successful here on the field. But, like, the, all this, what, you know, you're so young to have this as something that's important to you. I, the the potential for where you could take this and how much impact you can have at Chicago is huge, which is, I think, just super exciting for you, for the organization, for the city, all yeah. of it. Uh, you you know, you I just saw the last one. You, you put the Steve Jobs out there with his last letter. Yeah. He's He says, it doesn't matter if you're on a $300 watch or a $30 watch. They both tell time. Right. You don't get to take the money with you. So right. the, I, mean, I think that's a good metaphor for people. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're, you know on that side of the line or this side of the line when you're at a major league baseball game we're still people you know we're 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 equals man and that's that's the thing that kind of gets skewed is like we're looked at as almost larger than life a lot of times and really it 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 almost seems overwhelming to us but i know it has to seem overwhelming to fans when we approach them but i just want it to be genuine yeah the overwhelming part just makes me think of just pictures over time where I like it makes me think of Michael Jordan and like they're just reaching out to touch him like he's some biblical figure or whatever and it's like right. that is right. a really really good basketball player but it is also at the end of the day a human being exactly you're, I mean you're a professional baseball player you're a great pitcher but you right. also like you leave the field right you, you go eat dinner <laughs> you, you have you know but yeah. it, but we I mean, it's we do we I mean kids adults they they look yeah. up to you so it, and then how do you find out what actually is reality? Right. You know? But we have to take advantage of the fact that people do look up to us and use that for a greater good, not for selfish reasons. So, I mean, it definitely has its benefits. I look forward to talking to you uh, further, Michael. It's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, best of luck in the rehab. Great to see you. You coming Thank back you. again this summer? Do you know? I should, but I'm not sure. I'm told what to do, and then I just follow. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll see you then. Thanks for taking time today. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you to Michael Kopech, and thank you for listening to On the Mark, to Andy Greer, to Ethan Blumenthal, to Ashley Young, most importantly to you. Again, feel free, subscribe, rate, we really appreciate it. And also, follow me on Twitter, at TheCarm, or on Instagram, TheCarm23. On the Mark, with Mark Carmen coming out every Monday afternoon. Thanks again for listening this week. We'll see you next time. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.